1: That's better. Did you just turn the volume up? Yeah. Oh. It's that easy. I fear one day we're gonna have to just write each other notes or text each other, or get one of those brain insert things that Elon Musk is working on—Neuralink—a Neuralink. Because neural both I've of got us one of those. Can't hear.
0: <laughs> I've got a Neuralink. That's why I'm so smart. Yeah? yeah. What
1: am I thinking right now?
0: You're thinking that we're doing a podcast introduction for Elise Aaron and Garrett Taylor nailed it, yeah, See? that
1: or your psychic, you know, actually, I didn't tell you this twice during our interview with Elise and Garrett. You asked the question that I was about to ask or that I had in my mind, oh, yeah, I thought that was cool, we're
0: in sync.
1: We were with this chat just like they are in life and on stage.
0: Yeah, we had musicians, partners, creative collaborators.
1: They're magic makers.
0: Magic makers. Mm-hmm. That's probably the best term you could ever give to someone. They should
1: put that on their business card if they haven't already.
0: We could steal that too. <laughs> if they don't use it, we're using it.
1: Well, rock, paper, scissor for it. Yeah. But these two have really been on the rise. They have put the work in, and they're seeing the results, I think.
0: Yeah, at least just put a new single out and a new video, and it uh, sounds great. The video is really cool. We talk a little bit about it there in the episode. But yeah, it was just great to to have them in and just talk about... Because they're fairly new in the game, but having a, a fast rise, which is which is nice to see, and especially when someone has that hustle and uh, the, the, all the things are coming together for them.
1: They're really putting themselves out there. like yeah. They're playing all the time. Uh, I'm sure a lot of our listeners have seen them. They killed it at Music Week. Uh, they talk about that being one of their highlight shows, and we can certainly understand why we yeah. were there, and it was certainly a blast. So we're really proud of them and excited to learn more about them.
0: Yeah, and... uh You're all going to learn some very intimate details about them. Well. Not that intimate.
1: Not like get your kids up to Very,
0: very intimate details.
1: Very, very (laughs) taking (laughs) in.
0: No, it's a great chat and we're, yeah, we're excited. This new year's been off to a great start for us.
1: Mm -hmm. You're in the studio yourself coming up.
0: Yeah, I'm going. Well, I've been working in my studio here last Couple months basically getting ready for the recording. We call it pre production in the music world. So I've been doing my pre production, then I go into the actual production, which is recording, and we'll, you know, dive headfirst in. But what's
1: post production? The mastering, and does that have a name?
0: Uh, yeah, I guess that'll be the, the, after you've done the recording, like mm-hmm. mixing and editing and mm-hmm. mastering.
1: And you've been working on, uh, An apprentice, we'll say, on their album coming up. Yes,
0: yes. Former guest, Jackson Weldon.
1: Yeah, he's doing awesome. You guys seem to work really well together and he's another rising star. So go back and listen to that episode if you're not familiar with young Jackson. He
0: just had his 19th birthday and he's recording some tracks and going to make a go at it with playing, playing original music.
1: That's right. Well, we're just really excited about all of these. I don't even want to say newcomers. They just feel so at at ease and at home with the work that they're doing. Um, Elise and Garrett are just where they're meant to be, I think.
0: Oh, for sure. And let's just dive right into it. Let people hear this great chat.
1: Great. Woo! Woo! We should get somebody in just to assess us. Yeah. Oh, you're hitting your back mic there. Therapy
0: session. Back mic. It's to record the sounds of my back. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Your front sounds good, but your back's a little little iffy. A little wobbly. We're really excited, guys. Turn the gain down
2: back there.
1: We're excited, too. I feel yeah. a little outnumbered here, though. I'm facing three Cape Bretner's and <laughs> the three of you are kind of sitting tightly together, and I'm over here sitting in the corner <laughs> like a little valley girl.
0: With a cow shirt on <laughs> as well.
3: <laughs> Something tells me that you've been made an honorary caper by now.
1: I have to say, I was thinking about this the other day, now that you mention it. How supportive Cape Bretoners have been of my artwork if I make a post that has anything Cape Breton related even the guests that we've had on the podcast that are from Cape Breton there's just this surge of support and people sharing and liking and you guys are a tight-knit family aren't you
0: there's a, a real community there and I think just people from small towns and especially that area just really stick together
3: and they're proud. They're really proud, proud. of one of their own <laughs> yeah. going off and doing something
1: great. Were cool. you both born in Cape Breton? Yeah.
2: Born and raised. Born and raised. Glace Bay.
1: Both of us. <laughs> did you go to school together? <laughs> yeah. We did, yeah. Two oh, years apart know. in school. Okay. Who's older?
2: Me, only by a year.
1: Yeah. A year,
3: A rea- one no. real year, yeah. two school years. Yeah, we've got a... September birthday and October birthday. Two school years was a lot in high school, though. It was. So we didn't really know each other. We knew who each other was from, you know, similar friend groups and in Mm -hmm. passing and stuff. We were in the school band together. Because we, same thing in junior high, we went to the same junior high as well. Mm
2: -hmm.
3: So I'd be in seven when Garrett was in nine, and then I was in 10 when he was in 12. But... We didn't really get to know each other until she, I moved back. She wasn't back. really cool back then.
2: Yeah. No, but you were. <laughs> Listen, I was the I was real cool, right?
1: Like, yeah. Everyone who looks back I is gonna be like, it, you know yeah. what? You she were was so cool, cool. People didn't know you yeah, were cool then. I was cool before yeah, cool. I get was that. Cool.
0: What What were you both into back in those early days, growing up in small town Glace Bay, the epicenter of cool, I believe, is known <laughs> That's as.
1: That's what's on the sign that when you enter the town. Coolest town in Canada. Yeah. Actually, I think it says largest town.
0: Largest town? It's the largest town.
3: town. Not, maybe not anymore, but for a long time, it was the largest town during the coal mining boom.
0: In Canada? Yeah. Holy.
1: Wow. You guys are from yeah. the, the so, big cities. But, so- that's,
0: but that's that's funny because like it's just a shitty city, I guess. Yeah.
1: So it's not, <laughs> not really a small enough. town, but it's
3: not a city either.
2: No. No, it's a far cry from that.
3: So what were we both into?
2: You tell me. Oh, you want me to tell you first? Well, I was into kind of everything. You were? I played a lot of ball and golf in the summer and hockey in the winters, big into sports and uh, also played guitar and not professionally, but uh, for fun, like I get Facebook memories. And when you used to put your status kind of what you were doing, I get a memory of Playing hockey or playing guitar and then off to hockey. <laughs> like, <laughs> BBL. I get it so often. <laughs> yeah, yeah, BBL. Be back Always late.
3: has guitar in it. Yeah. Guitar then sleep. And back then tomorrow.
2: Into like motorsports too with snooze and, oh, yeah. and
1: stuff. Oh, like yeah. What was your first guitar?
2: My first guitar was my father's. It was a Fender acoustic. Yeah. And he handed
1: one. it down to you?
2: Yeah. Well, it kind of, my father passed away when I was eight. So, I kind of acquired it. I just picked it up one day, and I was taking piano lessons at the time. And I took it to my teacher. and I'm like, "All right, enough with piano. I'm playing guitar. <laughs> piano was not cool. I wish I could play the keyboard." Now. Was
1: was because you knew that that guitar came from your father, who you had lost. Did that make you more attracted to want to learn music?
2: Thinking back, for sure. Yeah. I'm, yeah.
1: There's a picture of Garrett with his dad.
3: It's on top of the piano at our house. And mm-hmm. you look like you're maybe five or six years old. Yeah. Playing a tiny little guitar <laughs> next to your dad. Yeah. Yeah, it's a great
1: photo. Adorable. Yeah. Yeah, it's awesome. And what about you, Elise? Did you have music in your bones from yeah. a young age?
3: Always. Well, we said we were both in the school band. Garrett played percussion.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: I played the clarinet, yeah. the coolest instrument yeah. in the band. For she sure. was really
0: good. <clears throat> she <clears> throat> had throat> all the lead parts. Of <laughs> You danced too, didn't you? Yes.
3: So I was into all of the, uh, I call them singular sports, dance, Mm -hmm. uh, figure skating, gymnastics, cheerleading. Cheerleading was a team, but that was like a dance outlet for me, but always into music as well. I got my first guitar at 16, probably a lot later than Garrett, but music was always something that I felt was just in me. And dance was a bit of a, a musical expression as well I think for me
0: and when you first both got instruments were you ever writing initially or was that something that came later
3: I used to write before I was writing music I liked to write poetry yeah and just write stories as a kid um and I actually remember one of my little stories getting published and do you remember it was, schools had this like red and white book that would come out every year and they would publish children's artwork in it <laughs> <laughs> I remember going to this like night where they were like um, recognizing everyone who like had a piece in the book.
0: Did it have a name or it was just it was just I the bet color? Red and white book. It's <laughs> yeah.
3: probably. At home in my like box of stuff from my childhood, I have like a single box with a bunch of memories that my mom's kept, but I'll
1: find out and I'll get back to you. I I thought you were gonna say the owl or chickadee
0: magazines. Oh those
1: used to be delivered to the house for kids. But I don't think I was back in the eighties or
0: nineties. I wasn't that professional.
1: No. (laughs) No, I think it was like a regional thing.
0: So you were published in the red and white (laughs) book at a young age. Yes. (laughs) Starting
3: (laughs) my artist career.
0: Very talented young girl in Glace Bay. That's, what drew you towards poetry at that age?
3: I think I was just an emotional and expressive child. Yeah. Yeah. And I think I looked for any way to to let that out when I was very
1: young. Have you always felt comfortable to outwardly express yourself creatively? Because I know some people feel maybe they experience a little bit of self-judgment or what's the world going to think about this with something so personal.
3: Yeah, well, I know that when I was very young, I was really comfortable with it. And I try and think back to when was the last time that I, when was that transition point from feeling so open and comfortable to starting to feel self conscious? I can't pinpoint it, but I do know that it started to happen. I think it happens to everyone as you're growing up, you know, in schools. Like teenagers are hard. Mm-hmm. And I would find other ways to express myself. So I was always someone who dressed weird or different or did crazy things with my hair. Um, but I think things started to change when I graduated high school and went to university. And I felt like I needed to it was like, okay, I need to grow up. Um, and I always felt this pressure. Even since I was a kid, I felt that I always knew a day was gonna come when I had to become an adult and the things that I really loved to do I wouldn't get to do anymore. And maybe it happened because I feared it would happen, or maybe it happened because I didn't really know any other way. But I know we were chatting about this just before the podcast, but I didn't know anyone that went off to do any creative pursuit professionally. And, you know, my family really valued academics and they really valued the idea of me going to university. So I did. And I felt like my creative dreams kind of died when I went to university.
0: And you got a, a real life job. Right out of university, I
3: did. Yep, didn't take. I mean, I remember thinking, like, what if I just took a year off, and it just—it wasn't an option, really.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And you were you an engineer? Is that correct? Yeah, I went yeah. to went
3: to Dalhousie for chemical engineering. Yeah. And then I worked in pulp and paper.
0: Pulp and paper for a long time out west.
3: Uh, I didn't never made it out west. Yeah. I knew I didn't want to do that, yeah. I managed to avoid that. I was working mostly in New Brunswick,
1: Nova Scotia, okay. and Maine.
0: that's west of New Brunswick's west yeah. Of here, yeah,
3: well, I didn't
1: make it to Toronto. I was in Toronto for a little okay. while, yeah, And so when did the two of you reconnect with one another, or maybe you stayed in touch throughout all of this? No, no <clears throat> you, you want to take that. <laughs>
2: Um, I guess it was summer of 2019. Yeah. Yeah. She was in town and I happened to be at the restaurant Portside in Sydney and I seen her walk in and I hadn't seen her in 10 years, I guess, at that time. Maybe. But you
3: knew I was playing.
2: Yeah. I knew, I seen, you were posting stuff Yeah. Online. I
3: starting performing again <clears throat> while I was in Toronto. Yeah.
2: Yeah. And anyway, I popped up and I was like, oh my God, I haven't seen you ever. And gave her a hug and good to see you. And then I was like, hey, we should jam sometime. I see you're... You're playing. She said, absolutely. And then she back to Toronto. And then, you know, we may have chatted the odd time online. And then was it 20? When were you back? January
3: 2020. Yeah. Almost three years.
2: Yeah. And we started chatting and you were going to be home for a bit. Yes. And as I was traveling back and forth out West.
3: Yes. I was only going to come home for a couple months and I was Mm. planning to immigrate to the States. Yeah. Mm. And then the
1: pandemic happened. <laughs> wow. wow. That's a turn of events in all the ways. Right? Yeah.
2: So we were going to do like a couple of acoustic shows just for fun back home. I think we had three or four of them lined up at small pubs back in Sydney and Glace Bay. And then uh I remember I went away for a, a shift and that's when everything started happening and things getting closed down. And I'm like, no. I- they're not going to close it. I'll, be, I'll make it home, and we'll at least get to do one. And the next day, it was like lockdown.
1: I have to ask, were you more excited to play the music or just to be with the girl at that time? <laughs> well, <laughs> well,
2: well uh, I, was ex- I was super excited to, to play music with her, for sure.
3: Playing music was and always Garrett's like consistent. Yeah. Of all the things that you he said he was interested in, a lot of things, like music was a consistent for you always. And everyone says that about you now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think
2: it, it was. And I, I know we're dating now, but it was a year of hanging out and playing music. And we just became best friends yeah. and literally did not even think of, you know. Maybe you thought about it. Uh, maybe. I mean, <laughs> I mean yeah. what, guy, what guy can doesn't tell the truth? Yes. I have to. <laughs> <laughs> what guy wouldn't think of, uh, yeah, that that's exciting. <laughs> you However,
3: know? you were, he was incredibly respectful. I would go over to his house, we'd have a rehearsal, and that would be that. Mm-hmm. And uh, then we put a band together later that year, and it was just friends. And I just remember, I, I even said to you, like, I love hanging out with you. This is great. And the longer that year went on, the harder it was for me to imagine leaving. And anyway, long story short, I didn't leave.
2: Still I just kept saying, you're, you're, you're not leaving. <laughs> you
0: know.
3: He was like, I don't care, you're not leaving. You're not and I leaving. was like, oh, I'm, leaving. <laughs>
0: okay, so, I'm leaving. And when the pandemic happened, did you leave your job then or did you already leave your job to come back home?
3: I'd left my job to come back here with the plan of moving to the U.S. that spring yeah, and then figuring out work when I got down there. Work still in engineering? I was planning to do something more flexible Mm -hmm. so that I could be more serious about music, but I didn't really know what that was going to look like. But I knew, and I hadn't told anybody that yet, but I knew that I was done with engineering.
1: We have this in common that you and I both worked, quote, good jobs for a decade of our life in the corporate world in one way or another. What was it that? And this is me almost selfishly asking you, because not everyone has this in common, but like, how did you start to feel? How did you know that maybe this wasn't working or why wasn't it working? Was it more about, I don't identify with this life anymore, or was it that you were being pulled to something else? Maybe both.
3: I think if I'm really honest with myself, it was... Like engineering was never fulfilling for me. I was good at it. Um, I was strong in math and science and I was a great problem solver. So it was like a no brainer for me. And I always just felt like this is great for now, but I'll do something else. And I never knew what that something else was. And as I started to progress in my career, I always envisioned it would be more fulfilling and I'll feel better and I'll like it more. And I never did. And I don't really know what happened sometime in 2018. It was like a a slow, a very slow spiritual awakening, but a friend recommended a book to me and I can't remember what it was called, but I remember I read the book and it was the first time I ever considered the concept of like, what if you don't have to do what you're doing right now, no matter how old you are, no matter where you live, no matter what your situation. Like, you know, I think it was the first time that, somebody asked me what would your ideal day look like and I was like huh and the seed was planted and then I just started thinking about if I was going to make a change how could I do it so it took me a long time because as you know there was like major identity crisis yeah and what are people going to say they're going to say I couldn't handle it and then I was weak because engineering was a male-dominated industry and it was rough and tough and if you were a weak little girl you didn't make it yeah and uh, I take a lot of pride in in that part of my personality. And I think I'm I'm learning to let go of that, too. But even after leaving, I still struggled a lot with, like, who am I? Or I'd wake up in the morning, like, breathing heavy, my heart would be pounding, and I'd be like, what am I doing? <laughs> Big mistake. But slowly, one day, a, a one day at a time kind of thing, as you know. Leading up to it, and then even after it's happened, I still have moments occasionally where I'm like, Have I made the biggest mistake of my life? What about my RRSP?
0: <laughs> so you come back to Cape Breton, meet this heartthrob, <laughs> the, the pandemic happens, you're already in the headspace of, yeah, engineering wasn't fulfilling, and music is something I've, I've always had passion for and yeah. really loved doing. Did something specific happen where you're like, we can do this, this, we can make a life out of this, we can reach people? Or was it just one thing at a time, like you're describing, like the one thing happens and takes it another?
3: Well, I had been playing before coming back, um, that what does your ideal day look like concept. Um, I found myself journaling on it a lot and creativity was always there. And music had always been there for me. My guitar was something I would put down and pick up and I'd always say, yeah, I really, you know, I really want to get back to that. But time, I never had time. I worked and slept. That was basically my life. Um, But I bought a new guitar when I was living in Toronto and I committed to picking it up every day, even if it was only for five minutes. And things changed very quickly when I gave myself permission, I guess, to do the thing that I felt like was... You know, if it's this much fun, how can I be allowed to spend time on it? Mm. How can this be okay? I should be doing something else. Like, I struggled with a lot of that. But when I came back home, knowing I was done with engineering and knowing I wanted to be more serious about music, I think it easily unfolded when we got together. And the reason for that, I think, is because Garrett, like, unlocked so much in me that I don't know if I would have unlocked myself. I have said this to you before. Mm -hmm. Like, I can be very passive and very like, oh, no, like, I don't know. Like, getting up on stage was terrifying for me. First gig we played was a disaster. Well. I, oh, <laughs> If anyone was there, thank you for coming back. Garrett, Garrett was great. Though, yeah. Garrett, of course, Garrett, But he was comfortable getting up in front of people. So he pushed me in that way. He pushed me to be more confident in myself and do things before I was ready, quote, unquote. And to just, I don't know. Garrett's just got this like zest about him where he's just like, we're doing it. Uh, and it was infectious.
1: So. And did it feel like a dream for you too, Garrett, to pursue or was it an opportunity? Like, what was your feeling in all of this moment?
2: Mm, big time. Um, well, obviously I played music as for fun. And then at a high school, um, we put a band together. And uh, we did that for a couple of years. Shout out, two-sided story. Yeah, shout out to the boys, you know. (laughs) And um, yeah, the band kind of folded. Everybody had to go away for school and, you know, and I was left home being like, damn, this sucks.
1: Stupid grown-ups. You know, and... (laughs) Stupid um, engineers.
2: So I would do like. Shout out to
3: Joel. He was an engineer, the drummer. <laughs> yeah.
2: And uh, I would do uh, like solo acoustic shows, just cover tunes around around town and that, and uh, play with a couple of my friends and stuff, but could never really find somebody who wanted to get serious about it. So I was like, oh, I guess I'm going to have to go and get a real life job too and yeah. <laughs> figure it out, you know? So yeah, I guess this is kind of like, it's like, whoa. We can actually do this thing, and it's going to be a lot of fun.
0: Did you have a, a first paycheck from a gig that, like, whoa, we we just got up on stage, had a shitload of fun, and you're giving us this decent amount of money, or maybe not even a decent amount, but an amount of money, you know?
2: <laughs> yeah, I remember, well, the first time that happened to me was uh, with my first band, Two Sided Story, yeah. and we opened for uh, for Headley. Oh yeah. In in Sydney and um
0: what's that singer that band up to these days? Uh, yeah, I think he's in some trouble. <laughs> <laughs> he was great. <laughs> uh Jay. <yeah. laughs> uh, <gee. Yeah. laughs> um, <laughs>
2: but yeah, um we I remember getting off stage and for some reason I didn't know what we were getting paid for the gig. I, yeah. I was just happy to be playing music. Kind of <laughs> That's really. still
3: meet every gig. gig. It's yeah. like, so what are we getting paid? I'm like, yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh.
2: So I remember the lead singer. He went and came back with this envelope. And he's like, "Oh my god, guys, look at this! It was two thousand dollars." Wow, that like, was That's like, a good
0: chunk for a whoa. young band.
2: so I was. I knew you could make money with music. Now playing the you don't make two thousand dollars <laughs> no <laughs> like two hundred at best. That was the best. last two thousand dollar check you First and you the know, last, split eighteen ways. Yeah, that's when yeah music was alive and well. <laughs> you know, concerts were plentiful. People were coming out, but yeah, I knew there
0: there could be a real go at it. You know. Hey, Kristen, do you know what's awesome? What, Mike? Real food bars. Mm. They're so delicious. They are delicious.
1: I take them on my runs with me because they're such clean fuel.
0: Like you're out... On the track and you open up a bar while you're running.
1: Yeah, just tear it open right there on the spot. That's
0: versatile.
1: They source all local ingredients. All local? So they call themselves Made with Local because they support so many local farmers and food makers.
0: Where are those farmers based out of that they support?
1: Nova Scotia.
0: Holy smokes, this (laughs) is getting even better and better. Where can you buy their products?
1: So they still manufacture in Nova Scotia, but you can find their product all across Canada now.
0: This is unreal.
1: And they started out as just a small table at a farmer's market, and have now achieved B Corp certification.
0: That sounds pretty fancy.
1: Yeah, they have tons of delicious flavors. I'm partial to anything with peanut butter and chocolate, as you know, but they also have lemon and blueberry, uh, gingerbread for the holidays. Oh
0: man, they are pretty darn delicious and healthy. Like when I eat like seven in a row, if I ate seven Mars bars, you know, I'd feel like I was going to die. But I eat seven of those and I feel like I can take over the world. Yeah,
1: you could lift a car after that.
0: Yeah, you get this, like, power in your bones.
1: Made with local.
0: And where can we find these bars and all the great products they create?
1: So I usually pick up my real food bars just at our local grocery store, but they're also found in lots of health food stores, gas stations, and little markets across the country.
0: They are doing awesome, and they taste awesome, nutritious, and delicious. Woo! Real food bars. Woo! Real Woo! food Woo! bars. Woo! Made with local. Made with local. Woo!
1: You guys present yourself with such a beautiful synergy, and you're a couple, so yes, that makes sense, but you feel the support you have for one another when watching your live show, or that's my observation. How has your creative relationship developed alongside of your love relationship? Do you feel like they're separate, or is that something you use to your advantage when you're performing that level of comfort?
2: Hmm. I I do believe they're separate, but I think you always know. uh, Hey, we're in love for Mm -hmm. sure. But and I think that does help playing music. But
3: but we had some kind of chemistry before I even recognized that there was anything there. People would say to us, "Wow, Mm. you guys like can just feel the energy coming off the stage," and I'd be like, "What?" Mm. I didn't really get that, and then. We had that one video of us singing a Fleetwood Mac song and everyone would message us and say, oh, my God, look at how she looks at you. And I was like, I didn't look at you. (laughs) But it was almost unfolding without us even knowing. And I think what it was the first time I'd ever been friends with someone before I dated them. So that was very new, too. So it was like this really slow, warm kind of. I don't know a slow blue. roll, <laughs> yeah, but it was it was great because we developed such a comfort around each other. Like I used to be, I say I was a closet musician. I was so scared to play in front of people, and let alone like read words I wrote in front of someone. It was like I don't know why I would just clam up. My face would get red. I'd break out in like blotchy hives, or I don't know. <laughs> I like couldn't breathe. It was yeah. like I remember that first gig we played. I could barely sing because my throat would just close over. And it was knowing that I had this person with me who wouldn't judge me for a second and still thinks that for some reason, everything I do is great. It was like, okay, I have this one person I can be myself with. And I started showing him songs that I had written and said, do you think you could write a guitar part to this? So, you know, we started out as like I would write lyrics, but I'd never really written music. I mean, I'd written a chord progression, but I can't play the guitar the way you, Mike, or Garrett can play the guitar. So I'd do you think you can write a riff or a solo or something? And the first time we had done that together, I was like, wow, like we made this. Mm-hmm. Like we're not playing someone else's song. Now we're playing our song. And it, it became our song, even though how I present myself professionally as Elise Aaron, it's like, it's my solo project, but Garrett is absolutely my guitar player and right-hand man like i don't know that i would have got to this place without him creatively or professionally so
0: i think that it's almost impossible for your relationship not to to seep into what you're creating just because myself and Kristen have the <laughs> the the same experience where you're just able to support each other in a way that. You can't if you're not a a couple in in some regard. It's just you know each other so well and like even just traveling, like that that's something that becomes easy easy for you. Mm -hmm. Like you only
3: need one hotel room. You only need one vehicle.
0: (laughs) (laughs) It's great. And and in a real in a band, you, you have a relationship with people that is very close, regardless if you're in a intimate relationship with them. But I think It just allows you to explore sides of each other that maybe you couldn't get into if you weren't in this relationship.
1: Yeah. I think the lifestyle piece is really important that you pointed out, travel being an example, but creative people have a tendency to, like maybe that dawns upon you at three in the morning or three in the afternoon or on a weekend when most people are off. Like all of those nuances of the type of work that you do create a a daily lifestyle for you that looks a little bit different so having a partner that understands even that part can help you say that a lot Mm -hmm. he says i don't know if i could do this
3: like i don't know if i could be with you if you were living this life with somebody else you know like if my musical relationship was with someone else and then my romantic relationship was with you it
1: would be it would be really hard Mm -hmm. but
2: and just not wired that way i guess yeah. yeah
1: I want to ask you, Elise, before we move away from this shift in your career, how difficult was it for you starting over, having established yourself in another world that was so different first?
3: Uh, well, there's a lot of different chapters of that. I think before making any moves towards starting over, it felt like a mountain to climb, and which was probably why I put it off as long as I did, because it was like, what? What would I do what would that even look like? and a lot of that stress was financial. Um, so I spent a lot of those transformational years, I guess, before making the leap, saving money. So if anyone's thinking about making a huge change, that's somewhere you can start just putting away money, so then at least you have a little bit of a confidence when you do make a move or you know it, it helped me get there like, okay, I'm not gonna die. you yeah. have money, so what now? Um, but then, after coming in to the music world it was definitely a slow roll into feeling like I belonged here and I'm still there. And I don't know, I don't really know the answer to kind of feeling like you belong somewhere, but that's probably been more of a one step at a time journey. Like I think as I work on my music and my writing and my sound and my brand, I think I solidify to myself as much as to other people that this is who I am and this is what I'm doing. Cause at first it was like, We've only been doing this for six months or you've only been doing this for a year. And I used to think, well, why does it matter how long I've been doing it? But I can understand how someone else might see it that way. Like to me, I've always been the same person inside. It was just how did I express that in front of other people, right? Whether or not people knew that I loved music or knew that I was a creative person. Like I think if you're an artist, you're an artist. You don't become an artist I was born that way. I just didn't always know how to express it. But feeling like I belonged in the music community, especially locally, has been definitely difficult. But I think I'm getting there. I'm getting there with myself anyway. I don't know how everyone else feels about D- that, but I'm starting to feel like this is where I belong.
0: Well, I was going to ask, is is belonging more about the outside validation or is that just more a feeling for yourself?
3: Hmm... I mean,
0: or does do they influence each other? They do,
3: but like, there's definitely an outside piece. Like, I could write a song and sing it at the top of my lungs in my room with as much passion and showmanship as I could muster. And once I got on the stage, I would freeze because it would be like, what are people going to think of me or say? And I don't know what I thought they would say. Like, if they said she sucks, like, would I really care? Like. I don't know I think that's just um, almost like a human bodily reaction that maybe we're just wired we're wired to want to fit in or we're wired to want to belong so I think I'd be lying if I said I didn't care what other people thought or said Yeah. you know I wanted the music community to accept me because I wanted collaboration I wanted to learn from other people and I wanted to be
1: better and I knew I couldn't do that on my own yeah yeah. Well, and if your dream is to work at a bank, you don't have thousands of people watching you do your work. That too. So it's vulnerable what all of you do. You're performing, you're entertaining. You Part of your job is to have the public watching you. Yeah. So that's not to say part of your job is to have the public judge you and whether or not that matters, but they're present in that exploration that transformation so of course it would have to feel differently than most people that are sitting in an office or behind closed doors at least protected from that yeah
3: anyone who has a fear of public speaking could imagine it's like that feeling getting on stage except you're gonna read something that came from your heart and soul (laughs) (laughs) right you're gonna sing it
0: (laughs) i i read somewhere maybe we even talked about it on here but the fear of public speaking is from, well, thousands thousands of years ago, if any point in time a bunch of people were looking at you, that was because you were essentially on trial for something. Yeah. Like, you when you were up in front of a group, that group was judging you likely because you did something wrong. And that's kind of in our DNA. Like, when you were up in front of a crowd, we're like, oh shit, like, this is our... Basic primordial <laughs> brains are kind of shifting back yeah. to this time frame. We talked so about a
3: similar thing the other night. Up, up, It's a primal reaction to want to belong because thousands and thousands of years ago, if you didn't and your tribe, you know, cast you out, you wouldn't survive. Yeah. So sometimes I have to check in with myself and be like, okay, am I safe if I do this thing and people don't like it? I'm still safe. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's a rewiring. It's an everyday chat with yourself.
1: We had our friend Nancy Regan on the podcast as a guest and she shared the wisdom of, because she coaches people with public speaking and advised to think about it as what you're offering. So we step onto a stage, maybe worried about what others will think of us, but she flips it in that, look at all of what I have to share. And I, a specific moment comes to mind with the both of you at Music Week in November when you sang Wildcard and explained what this song was about, essentially about taking a chance on yourself. And I'm in the audience just like, (gasps) like, (laughs) sobbing because I could relate to it so much. Like you were singing about how I felt and articulating it in a way that just felt like you were singing just to me, which I'm sure lots of people maybe were having that moment, but it reminds me of the power of the gift that you have of being on stage. Do you... Are you able to remind yourself or recognize that now in your life? Yeah, definitely. Big big time. Yeah,
3: I think um, people say it a lot. Sometimes it's just one person, but that's all it takes is for one person to say, I felt seen or "I I, I felt like I wasn't the only one. It's really powerful.
2: It's the best feeling in the world.
3: Yeah. And I've heard people say that before, but I didn't really get it. I've heard people say, if I could touch one person with my message, but when it actually happens to you, it's like the ultimate, I don't want to use the word power, but like the ultimate sense of gratitude, like, wow, I'm so grateful I got to do this because I am still that person in the audience at someone else's show. And I am so moved by music. We just saw Keith Urban in October and I think I cried the entire show cuz <laughs> it was just live music touches me like nothing else
0: the power of song is amazing yeah and i guess the power of creativity in general and it's amazing when someone comes up and is affected and lets you know that they've been affected in a positive way by what you create and i always try to remember those moments in the times when, you know, things aren't going exactly as you want them to, just knowing that your music has the ability to just affect people in that way where you can, it can change their life or help them through a hard time or just bring them joy even, right? So I, I always feel like that is a responsibility that you have once you start putting things out there. and. Yeah it just means a lot. And I assume that's when you get those similar moments, like it's just, it's something that you, you realize how what you're doing is really important.
3: Yeah. It's pretty cool feeling magic. Yeah. I said that to you a couple (laughs) weeks ago, you made a post this morning. You said, uh, you like to call yourselves professional idea makers. Mm. I had a concept. We were playing a house party and at the end of it, This family's 18-year-old daughter played and sang, like I did when I was 18, quietly, not in front of anybody. If you saw her song, she would rip them up and throw them out. And her dad kept saying to us, I bet you if you encouraged her, she'd play for you. And there was a time when I would have been like, no, no, don't do that to her, you'll embarrass her. But I thought, no, no, she needs the encouragement. So I found ways to casually throughout the night be like, hey, you want to hop up and play a tune? Like, You can play my guitar or like." Whatever, and she'd kind of shy away. And at the end of the night, she got up with her guitar and her whole family sat around when we finished and Mm -hmm. she played four or five songs. Nice. And it was such a moving experience. Her family was like, This never happens. You've no idea what this means to us. It was their anniversary and it was the night before Christmas Eve. They were like, This is the best anniversary gift and Christmas gift. Like This is this might change the course of her life. And on the way home, I said, we're we're magic makers. Like, that's what we're doing. It's like not even about I mean, yes, it's about music and it's about, you know, this work that we do, but it's so much bigger than that. It's like we just created
1: an experience. You hear artists talk about this often, that it's bigger than the thing that I make. Yeah. And Mm -hmm. it's Like, how important is how you're feeling as a person in your creativity? So do you put a concerted effort into feeling aligned or inspired or grounded? Like, how do those aspects of your mental health, I'll say, factor into what you're delivering? Huge.
3: If Garrett's hungry, he can't uh, do
1: anything. Feed <laughs> this man. Yeah, but yeah. but maybe, like, Garrett, do you have a morning practice? Or is there, like, maybe text that you read? Like, what is it that keeps you in alignment?
2: Like, staples that have to happen. Well, I do try to get to the gym every day at 6 a.m. Yeah. There is some days where I go with my buddy Andrew, and we'll wake up and. uh it's either he texts me first or I text him. I'm like, you up? <laughs> <laughs> and most of the time, we're about 80%. But Mondays are tough because, you know, we just had a long weekend, we of, weekend of yeah. gigging. And, right. But, uh, yeah, we I have to get the gym done. If it doesn't happen in the morning, it definitely happens in the evening after work. Um, so that's the biggest thing for me. And just making sure, like, p- proper diet, you know, breakfast, lunch, supper. I have like, I have to do that. <laughs> I, Food. But I know I, that about I do, myself. I, I, I think and, that's a
3: big part of why we, yeah. we work so well and we live so well together. Like I also need exercise, need to be eating healthy, need enough sleep. Mm-hmm. Or I can't, like, I find I get very emotional if I'm not grounded in that way. And when I'm like re- really emotional, like when I'm, I don't know, I'll say when I'm off, that's very vague, but I can't write. I can't write anything if I feel upset. And I know lots of times I would just say, My best songs came out of that's different. Mm-hmm. Most of my best songs come out of frustration and, and passionate emotion and and grief. But if I'm just like uh what like just overwhelmingly like, you know, exhausted or just feeling gross, I can't do anything. I'm like a I don't know.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: I'm just
1: Yeah, I think that's a good distinction where you can have a experience in your life that inspires a song or a lyric that you can process. But creating from when you're in that day, just feeling like garbage is a completely different thing. Yeah. That doesn't always work. Like,
3: I couldn't go back to Cape Breton after this weekend on Sunday night and write a song. There's no way. It would be a stupid shallow song. But (laughs) if I get to bed early... That's what it's called. (laughs) Shallow. That was a song. And it was great. (laughs) But if I go to bed early and wake up Monday morning, that could be my most creative time. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I feel like one of your superpowers is your work ethic. And this is me just observing you, but I feel like you have come into this world with such passion and grit and determination. I I see it in you more than some musicians who have been in the industry for years. How has, is it like, does that come from a, a life of working that way prior to, albeit in a different industry, but that's just who you are? Or did you feel like I'm playing catch up or like, where does that drive come from? Because it's just like a fire in you. I think it's just who I am. Um, it's definitely
3: like showed up or been influenced. Catching up has definitely influenced it in a way. I think I think anything that's influenced it has just been feel on the fire, whether positive or negative. I don't like the feeling of having to play catch up. Um, I struggle with this feeling of needing to earn things. That's actually what my next single is all about. Mm-hmm. I just, it's exhausting feeling like you have to work for something in return that like there's no, you know, snowball effect or there's no building upon your successes, um, that everything is just an immediate exchange. I'm really working through that. But I do think that this fiery, passionate person is just who I am. And I always knew that I had it. I just needed to know where to direct it. And I directed it. In for me, all the wrong ways for a long time, but I mean, a lot of other people would have benefited from my work ethic over the years. But I truly feel like I've found where I'm aligned, and it's it's incredible. It's like I I can't stop.
0: Well, you get to put that energy into yourself and your career, and and what you want to do. Like you said, maybe other people in the past have benefited from your work ethic. Now you. And Garrett are benefiting from that together, right? It's just a way like when you find that alignment, you can really just take off and that seems like it's happening for you.
3: Yeah, and we definitely align on that as well. Garrett's yeah. also very like we're both very organized. I guess that would be another thing in the grounding category. Like yeah. we need our space to be clean and organized and our calendar and our, our our everything in our life needs to be set up so that so that we can just power through and not let other things hold us back.
0: I want to ask, we already talked about uh, being from the largest town in Canada. How did, (laughs) how did growing up in that really big town (laughs) affect you? Like, well, how did your small town shape you to be who you are? Hmm. That's a good question.
2: Um, well, being a small town and, you know, um, with industries dying that were made that town, be so famous. I guess you know with the coal mine and the steel plant and stuff like that that's not around anymore. Um, you've seen the the grit and the determination
1: mm.
2: in your elders, yeah. and
1: right.
2: um, even my grandfather was a staple in my life. Just seen that toughness, you know. So i guess it just it instills in you yeah so i would agree with that
0: a lineage of gritty people Mm. like cape Cape breton and a lot of the east coast in general like a lot of the people who came to cape breton early on were people who got kicked off their land in scotland like to make (laughs) room for sheep right and then there's uh poor irish people who couldn't get jobs over there like Cape Breton was kind of a, a savior for all these people around mm-hmm. the world who didn't have work and who kind of were going through hard times and they all come together in this big melting pot and then kind of the same thing happens to them eventually. Like, okay, now there's no jobs here. And it's kind of this, yeah, lineage of just people who had not the easiest of times. Yeah. yeah
3: but people who made the best of what they had at the same time.
2: I find coming from there too, it makes you so proud. Like it is the proudest people (laughs) you will find. I'm sure of it. Right. Yeah. And it's like, well, I worked at West for for years and people would say, where where are you from? You don't, if you ask somebody else, they're like, Oh, Saskatchewan, Ontario. And you never say Nova Scotia. I'm from Cape Breton. Right. You know. They, problems, you're so never. Was. <laughs> you're so proud to to say that.
1: Were you exposed to creative people growing up too?
2: Hmm. A, a little bit. I remember i have to show you. I found a little book, uh, notepad. Um uh, me and my buddy Matt Soller um wrote a song. I'm we must have been maybe twelve, thirteen years old, and I'll have to show you when we get no, home. I can't wait. But it I I that was the first song I've ever written and then as when I got had my band there later in my teenage years then I started getting creative but yeah
1: i think we'd all like to see that i would <laughs> yes. love the songbook yeah, yeah. We it's were... one
2: song <laughs> one. It's the only thing written in the book yeah. love it
1: we were chatting last
3: night um on our walk to dinner like we've been around creative people but we weren't really exposed to people who had done it professionally and i think that was A limiting factor to being from a small place, and you can probably attest to this, is if you don't see someone who's like you or has had your experiences go off to do any particular thing, you don't really see yourself doing it. Um, And I think pursuing a creative career felt scary to a lot of people that we knew. Like, I know my mom would be like, you know, well, how are you going to pay the bills with that? What's your plan? Which was, and I think... That instilled a lot of great qualities in me that I'm grateful for, um but at the same time i I definitely feared anything insta like any instability or insecurity was was very very scary, and I was going to eliminate that at all costs, which was why I kind of chose the path the original path that I did but so there was some things to unlearn um so though I have a lot to be uh, to be grateful for, uh, there was a lot of limitations too do you,
0: f- a- do you feel like now maybe in what you're doing, you're able to show other people in your your small town, ta- your big town, that <laughs> that maybe they can be creative people. Absolutely. They-
3: I sometimes feel like that's my bigger purpose in life. Like I was meant to do everything exactly the way that it happened so that I could be this example for someone who, you know, not everyone. I think it's crazy to be asked who you are, or what you want to do at 18. when Your guidance counselor says, oh, Lise, what are you going to do with your life? <laughs> we don't know. You're still changing. Your brain's not done developing. You haven't experienced anything outside yeah. of, you know, parental or uh, someone, someone's care. Like you haven't <clears throat> lived your own life. So I think it's crazy that we have to decide at that age, what are you going to do and do forever? So I hope that I can inspire people to try things. Go to university. Don't go to university. You know, Try a career path. Try whatever. Go backpacking in Europe for a year. Like, it doesn't matter. By the time you're in your mid-30s and you look back, it does not matter what you did or didn't do. Like, all that matters is how you feel and are you happy. And I think that that can happen at any age. And it doesn't have to be—we put so much pressure on it. It doesn't have to be such a big— a big monumental moment after high school. So if anyone's listening and they want to make a change in their life or they don't know what they want to do, that's okay. So I think that's what I'm meant to inspire people to, to recognize.
1: It can feel cliche to say that, you know, do it while you're young. Like now that I'm middle-aged, there's so many pieces of advice that people would tell me when I was younger and they would add and say, one day you'll understand this and now I'm at that one day where I do understand and they were right and it's all true and feel like that's such a important thing and Mike and I have talked about this on the podcast before we've had an episode about growing up in small towns for that reason in that not having that exposure the things that you would see on TV like watching the red carpet just felt like a surreal impossible dream like this is not even this is not at all available to me But I also grew up kind of having this sense of knowing that I wasn't meant to stay in this little town. Didn't necessarily mean I was meant to be a painter. And quite frankly, I I still don't know that that is my ultimate, quote, destiny or the thing that. But I I did have a feeling inside of me that I knew enough that I would go on to do something beyond that life. Did either of you have that intuition?
3: A hundred percent.
1: I always felt that I was, I just used to think I'm meant for something
3: big and I don't know what it is and I don't know what defines big, but yeah. however I defined big, I felt that, okay, how you do, you do this thing that I call it, well, I didn't coin the term, but it's called your authentic code. People use different words for it. Some people say your four pillars or, but basically three or four words that describe who you are, or who you want to be, and then filtering everything through that. And one of my words is extraordinary. I just feel like normal everyday stuff is not for me. Like I'm very bored with it. And I know we relate on that too, because there's just a lot of times we're like, yeah, don't really care about that. Wish I did. Don't know why. Don't really care about, you know, like we'd rather get right out to writing a song than cook a meal. Like we're like chicken and rice, who cares? Let's just get to the fun stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, or like just the idea of working the same job every day sounds just so monotonous to me. Like, If you told me I had to go back to engineering tomorrow, I would go into a deep, deep depression. (laughs) Wouldn't happen. Um, but yeah, absolutely. I think we both felt that we were meant for something bigger, and maybe that's why we're all willing to sacrifice the things that we have, the comfort and the stability to go off and see if we can achieve that.
0: Do you feel that finances is the biggest obstacle in following a dream? Yeah unfortunately
3: sadly and it's intertwined so much in society and our culture with success and you know like how you view yourself or how you think you view others like for so long i thought success was you know my idea of success when i was a kid was i'm gonna like have this really cool car and like i'm gonna live in california in this great big house with like horses and i don't even know it was just like sounds pretty fun though (laughs) but it was like money like i just need money and i need to like write a famous book and have a bunch of money (laughs) and now i don't know yes finances are are hard and they're scary because what's going to happen if you know like right now like yeah things are slow we're like okay what next
2: I mean, you left your financial security yeah. job. Um, i don't I never really left my job. I, I still work in the same yeah. industry I'm, I was working in, but um, going from a little over a decade at west and then being like, "Nope, can't do that anymore because I want to do this, and how are we going to do that? And then I was lucky enough to find work at home where it allows me to be able to, to follow this dream and, you know, and they're very supportive of that. So
3: do you, do you
0: want to keep doing that? Or if, do you want to get to a point where you can step away from that as well? Yeah. I mean, hell, if, if we
2: could go and be very well off following this dream for sure. But I think it's, it'll look a little different maybe. Whatever that means, mm-hmm. um, It might be
3: a slower transition.
2: Yeah, it's. I don't see it in the very near future. I remember telling that, <laughs> telling them that when I was getting hired too. But i <laughs> um,
3: here for a couple of years. Hire me. Yeah,
2: <laughs> yeah. But when are you, uh, no. you
0: going to get famous? Was, <laughs> yeah. well, at least two years.
2: Okay. <laughs> yeah. I really enjoy it there too. Um, yeah, so
1: I think it's important to, to point that out or emphasize that mm-hmm. as well that. You can still have uh, a weekly quote normal job and love it. It's it's not yeah. about one or the other. It's not about um, you know pursuing a a dream can look like all sorts of things. Uh, so I think that it's important just to point out that yes, you're you're supporting in that role, but still enjoying it, and they're offering mm. you that understanding and flexibility, which is huge.
2: Yeah, and it it helps us be organized too. Like, Elise loves to work. She loves to work. And th- that space, and like, it's me, go. I go to work for the day, I come home, maybe have to go to the gym because I didn't get there in the morning. <laughs> yeah. And then it's guitar and, and collaborating for the rest of the evening until bedtime. Yeah. You know?
3: Yeah, but his work schedule, like, you know, I'm using this term so like work. Like it's always, we're always working, but I guess for this formal work time is when I do my formal work time. That's when I'm sitting at my laptop and mm. it helps me be organized. Um, but speaking of like financial security and stuff like that was a big decision for Garrett to not be going at West anymore and find a job here. Cause he was like, oh my God, like how, you know, it's going to be a change for me financially. Like I'm used to making this to stay home. I'll be making that. Like, am I good with that? But knowing that, it was going to help us ultimately pursue a more desirable life. It was like, okay, well everything is like time and money weighted, right? Time is your money and your money yeah, is your there, time. And
0: there's no right and wrong way to do things. So. Right. And again, some people's dream may to be to play a gig gigs on Saturday and work their nine to five mm-hmm. every, every week, you know, like it, it doesn't have to be you're 100% all in. Like you can, That's how you feel. Yeah.
3: And I still work like a day job. It's very flexible. I work for the Cape Breton Music Industry Cooperative, but I've had the ability to start working from home after the pandemic and it's, you know, it's remote. I can do it from anywhere, but I still have a responsibility to someone else. Mm -hmm. So I'm not just, you know, living off of my my music career. Thankfully, it's still, you know, a job in the music industry. So it helped me in a lot of ways. I'd say it was a mutually beneficial relationship, but... By no means
1: am I like just earning off of, you know, yeah, no, no. You're getting there though. (laughs) One day. (laughs) I've been reading a lot lately about negativity bias and how our brains are designed more or less to fixate on the one or two things that maybe we didn't get finished that day or that we wish were going more smoothly. But if you really reflect on that day or your life or your career, your wins, they're boundful, like they're they're endless, all of these accomplishments, and are you able to recognize the progress that you've made since making that first decision? Can you still celebrate those wins? Harder to do in the
3: moment, um but we're very good at at looking back and kind of summarizing things, right? Like I love that quote. um I think it's Steve Jobs. hopefully that's correct. people overestimate what they can do in one year and underestimate what they can do in 10. And I've really taken that to heart and kind of been my own personal expander for that in having taken that slow transition, you know, okay, I'm going to take this year to just save money. And then I'm going to take this year to start look at what my life could be like if I wasn't doing engineering. And then, okay, now I've taken this jump, but it was a very cushy jump because of the situation and the pandemic. But now when I look back, it's like, okay, Before I did this, that looked like a monumental, insane life change. But now when I look back, I can see how there was a lot of small successes that led up to me being able to do that. And then the same thing with music, like, I remember playing that first gig and I said it was horrible and terrifying. (laughs) Like, now it's a breeze for me to hop on stage and sing to a crowded bar. Like, I last night, we had a great gig. Mm -hmm. We felt so comfortable and we have lots of conversations about, like, look at where we started And look at where we are and all of the small steps like it's never just like one big thing. It's a million small things that add up to and it's hard to see that in the moment. But yeah, I think I think it's important to take pause and and being able to like hold on to that in the hard moments or in the hard days. Like, okay, we've made a million steps. There are a million steps behind us. The million steps ahead of us one day we'll be looking back at just like this.
1: You're at one of the base camps, at least. Yeah, mm. <laughs> made it to base camp.
0: <laughs> Do you have a show or some type of performance that really stands out in mind? Like, like this is unforgettable. Music it doesn't week. have to be like a big crowd. <laughs> yeah. It could be even like getting that girl to play piano. Like, is there something that really stands out from your career so far?
3: Music Week for sure.
0: Mm-hmm. It was the first
3: time we'd done uh, an original show with that much energy with a band.
2: Yeah. All new songs. So that was pretty powerful. Yeah.
3: And it was packed in there. Yeah. That was, we felt that that was a, a a transitional moment for us. A pivotal moment. Yeah. Yeah. Like we felt we were able to show people like, this is what we want to do. And I think it was a little validating. What else?
2: Um, I think there's, there's lots like, like for example, um, Getting her up to play at yeah. eighteen years old. That house pretty. Yeah. That was
3: pretty incredible.
2: It's just stuff like that. Um there's many, you know? And I I kinda revisit them all the time in my mind and I kinda see it while I'm setting up and stuff.
3: Mm. Yeah. You know, and they're cool. all kind of you know <laughs> leveled too. Like the other day I had a Facebook memory, I said, Hey, two years ago was the first time we ever played at the old triangle in Sydney. And that felt such like such a big deal. And, and now it's almost two years since we played in Halifax for the first time. And the first time we left Cape Breton was like, Wow, we're gonna play off the island. This is huge. <laughs> um, and then there's been many more, like the first time that we did a show with all original music as a duo. That was pretty yeah. big. I can't remember what it was now.
2: I think it was a sociable store. Really? Maybe.
3: Well, that was like our first
2: Close. It would have been something before that.
3: But that would have been something to remember, too. We mm-hmm. lined up six breweries or eight breweries across the province. Yeah. And went and led on a little tour.
0: Yeah.
3: Oh, a brewery tour. That's yeah. a good yeah. First yeah. tour. Yeah. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. Yeah, like booked the hotels and lined everything up. And yeah. Do you have a show like that, Mike?
1: For a moment?
0: I have a few for sure. Um, one is in Hamburg, Germany. We played this festival called Bond, which is the Bond district off Hamburg is a pretty wild area. There's, It's just kind of this big party spot, but uh, there's like a huge amount of people who come to Hamburg for this festival, and we got to play on this boat. So this boat was f- flying around the harbor. No, it was going pretty slow, actually. <laughs> <laughs> but... Uh, <laughs> Before we got there, we had this gig on the boat and a showcase somewhere, and we told people, yeah, well, we're playing on some boat, like, oh my god, you got on the boat gig, and like, oh, I, I guess, so we we get down there, and it came, It would a band would play, then uh, it would dock, and then uh, a new group of people would get on, the band would get on, set up, play, and there's like, whatever, six bands that did it, and... We got on that boat, and there's maybe a hundred people in this tiny little boat, and like people's faces were like a foot away from me, like it was was so close together, and no one there ever heard of us before. But by the second chorus of every song they were singing, (laughs) like it was this audience that just were just huge music fans, and just their whole thing was just absorbing the music, and we're. Sailing around the, the harbor on this boat from Canada, just the two of us playing. And, yeah, the this whole German audience was just so into it. And it was this hour where, yeah, we, we just felt this energy from the room. And, yeah, it was only 100 people. Like, I played much more big gigs with, like, thousands of people. But sometimes just the energy in a room mm-hmm. is it's this it's the special thing and when it was a bunch of strangers who instantly kind of fell for us that was really meaningful yeah
1: mm-hmm. what about i know you both uh were in nashville last fall is that your first time there my first time yeah in my,
2: my fifth oh you're, oh, <laughs> oh, you're a, a veteran
1: then. good for you <laughs> I was going to ask if you've been to a show that you've had that experience that maybe moved you differently than others. Maybe it was in Nashville. You said there were some tears shed, if that's where you saw so the many. Keith Urban show. But, I don't
3: know yeah. what it is about like being at a live show when it's songs that I've grown up on or songs that I've loved so much. To see it live, it's like, it's electric. I it just I couldn't help myself. I was just... Tears were streaming down my face. And I was like, I am just overjoyed Mm -hmm. to be in this moment. That was Keith Urban. Mm -hmm. But I was the same way when I saw Shania Twain in PEI years ago. She played with Corey Hart. The logistics were a disaster. But I remember I was with my best friends from university and she came out in the white dress on a horse we're still the one, and I still have a video, blackmail video, girls, on my phone <laughs> of us all just weeping because we were like, I don't know, it was just such a powerful moment. Yeah. But I've had that at big shows like that and I've had it at small shows as well. Um, probably so like too many to count. I just live music is like and live music has always been a thing for me that I've loved to go watch and take it in before I was ever thinking about playing professionally. Mm. What's your favorite concert? Mm, You've been to a lot uh, more big shows than I have.
2: Yeah. I love them all in their own little way, you know? It's it's like I'm connected to all of them. I don't really know. Well, obviously, Keith Urban, for sure, maybe on the top. That's your favorite. But, like, I, I've I've seen the Stones in Nashville, too, at LP Field. And as I think back, I'm like, whoa, that's good competition. <laughs> Which one's number one or two? It, it's hard.
1: Sometimes the venue, like you referencing where you saw it can make a difference too. I remember seeing a Patrick Watson concert in an old abandoned church in Quebec years ago. And you'd go in and he had everything candlelit. And he used all these obscure, they weren't even instruments, so they made sound. Like I remember he had a the blade from a long saw i'm sure there's a particular name for it but he would bend it in ways that would add like percussion sound mm. and uh him and his bandmates would walk into the audience and kind of interact that way but the venue itself before the music even started Was had a had a vibe to it yeah you could really feel that so that's not something i've really thought about until now you you yeah. referencing where you saw it but i think sometimes that can matter too yeah i think
2: they they connect with different emotions inside of you. Yeah. And then it's, for me, it's like, what emotion is the, your best emotion? Which, which one's number one?
3: Or like, what time in your life? Yeah. Or who were you with? Mm.
2: So, I think I just, I think I have a love for it all equally. You know? Yeah.
3: I have a, uh, one that stands out in my mind. I saw this band called The Dirty Heads. They're like a rap, <laughs> rock they're really fun. They kind of came into the mainstream world a little more. They did a Maroon 5, or Maroon 5 covered a song of theirs, and it kind of helped bolster their their uh, mainstream presence. But anyway, check them out. They're really cool. But I saw them at this place called the State Theater in Portland, Maine. And it's similar to Danforth Music Hall, if you've ever been there in Toronto. Like a graded floor, standing room only, bars on the sides. And it was such a vibe in there. Like the people... Everyone, like I knew no one there except the person I went with and people were passing joints around. I don't even smoke weed, Uh, passing flasks of whiskey around. It was just like, we're all friends and we're all here together. It was like the most I ever felt connected to an audience as much as I felt as an audience member connected to the audience as I felt connected to the artists. It was, it was one of my favorite shows for sure. That would have been a lot smaller than, than some of these stadium shows, but Those are my favorite kind of places to see music, concert halls.
1: You talked about dance earlier, and I know in your most recent music video that you released not too long ago, Under My Skin. Yeah. You have featured, I recognize Sarah Prosper. Who's the other dancer that you have accompanying you? Hazel Sparling. Hazel Sparling. They're both from Cape Breton. Aesthetically it's such a beautiful video. Uh we watched it together a couple times last night, but speaking of a whole vibe, even like and I say this complimentary, even with the sound off, it's a beautiful video. So it's like together just magic. And yeah, Mike like called me into the room like, "Whoa, you got to see this video." And I had seen it already, but we watched it again. <laughs> so yeah, that was a big and, and so yeah, did you did you want to use that concept because you wanted to bring dance back into your life? That was, uh, yes.
3: Yeah. So Chris Ross, who directed the video, had done um, our wildcard video. And the day we were filming, he said, do you have anything in mind for what's coming up? And I was telling him about Under My Skin and the album. And uh, I said, I would love to do a dance video for an album. And he was like, what do you mean? I said, like, group, like, me and two or three other people dancing in unison akin to like i'm a huge fan of an artist called maggie rogers um a lot of her videos have not so much dance in its uh no you know, traditional context dancing. no exactly <laughs> just a lot of movement and movement yeah. in unison and it feels very natural and i was like i want something like that um so i showed him the video and he was like "We c- we can do something like this and it was like once i Put it out there out loud, the pieces started coming together. So he had recommended this choreographer Marin Jessim to me. I called her, she's from the valley, and um she helped me pick a couple dancers, and we brought Lake and Ludie, also from Cape Breton, on as wardrobe. so she handmade all of our clothing. Wow, awesome, which is crazy. And um, Maren picked the location, which is Blomidon in the valley. Mm-hmm. and um man the rest is history but we definitely like came together to create that vibe so mood boarding on pinterest and group chatting about how it was gonna look and how it was gonna feel and once we got together it was two days to make it happen
1: beautiful and collaboration yeah this was a highly collaborative project what what does that mean to both of you you're collaborating together do you enjoy bringing in other people to see where things go i love it it i think it, it takes the stress off i I have a hard time sometimes letting go
3: of control especially you know this <laughs> of my creative stuff it's so close to me and I think I've waited so long to be where I am I'm I'm really worried I've had experiences where I've allowed people too close and it's really taken things somewhere I didn't want it to go um, but I know I can't do it all alone and when you find those people that that get you and can take what you're what you're envisioning and make it even better it's it's just pure magic And I definitely had a killer team on that video.
0: Yeah, you did. Well, we're really excited about the new album in general.
3: Yeah, March 31st. Uh,
0: March 31st.
3: So two more singles. Well, I don't know when this is going to air, but there'll be three singles in total, Under My Skin being one, Cherries and Criminal, and then the album March
1: 31st. Very exciting. Yeah,
3: lots of guitar solos on that,
1: right?
2: Uh, (laughs) Just a couple.
1: Where do you hope? this life takes you have you imagined that or are you just being patient and taking one day at a time I think about it all the time (laughs) I I would love to be able to
3: just live out this ideal day in you know it's many forms as you know your your ideal creative day looks a little different every day but if I could do that and not have to have a financial worry I don't need to be rich whatever everyone defines that differently but Mm. i just need to if i could not worry where my my you know my next payments are going to come from and and live this life and be playing music for new people every day and connecting having these deep connections like sounds very simple but that's like the biggest dream Mm. what do you think
2: hell all over the world i guess yeah just being able to share uh the gift, the magic with as many people as possible.
3: Madison square garden.
2: Yeah. Wherever red rocks. Sure.
3: Yeah. Dream big. Yeah. You, you know? want to hear it. Yeah. Uh, I really do want to dream that big. It's yeah. scary to dream that big. Cause I'm logical as well. And I think, well, <laughs> what are the steps? And are you, at, I'm like, you yes, asked me for my five year, or my 10 year dream, 25 year dream.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Old and
3: wrinkly. My friend. What's,
0: what's your dream venue to play? Red rocks. Red rocks.
3: Mm.
2: Yeah. Mm. I don't know if I have a dream venue.
3: Garrett's a <laughs> lot more like he's a lot more in the moment than I am. Yeah. Do
1: you have a dream venue, Mike? Don't think.
0: I don't know. I'm kind of like Garrett here. Like, there's ama- a there's hundreds of amazing <laughs> ones, like Red Rocks. Yeah. If I played Red Rocks, <laughs> I'd be pretty excited, right? But tiny desk. Concert. I'm not very specific with like. My favorite color is this. My favorite hockey, I like I'm, I like mm. just taking in.
3: Maybe this is a guy
0: thing, Kristen.
1: <laughs> Maybe, <laughs> yeah.
0: But like, I, I like just the moments. Yeah. And I
1: remember when we first f- started dating. I'm sure you remember this, although we haven't talked about it in a long time. But I, I think I don't know if I had asked you like what represented success or how I framed the question, but you had imagined yourself. I think being on the David Letterman show. Does that ring a bell to you?
0: I imagined uh, not even, not performing, just getting interviewed. Just getting interviewed. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Does that still resonate?
0: Well, he doesn't have the show anymore. He has his own show. He has the David Letterman
1: show now where where he interviews. But like, does that, I I guess I'm, I'm asking, like you, you had the imagination to think about something specific. And now that you've progressed so many years and had all these achievements behind you, like, does that, type of thing still excite you or mean anything
0: i think it's kind of what that would represent like if i was being interviewed by david letterman obviously i reached a level of success where i'm on the major network television so there's lots of good things happening yeah millions of people are hearing my music or reading what i wrote and it it's not like i need i want this to happen this to happen this to happen it's kind of at the end of the day i just want to get what i create into the eyes and ears of as many people out there and
3: so letterman would be like a mark of that success but you don't need that as validation you just need to know yourself that you've reached the level at which you could be on that show
0: yeah <laughs> yeah i <laughs> and i don't i don't know when i my, my dreams kind of have shifted over 20 years a bit too when when my first band when we all quit university to to pursue music we were like very confident that within <laughs> three years we were going to be the biggest fan in oh. canada like it wasn't even a question like oh yeah it was like- the other
3: day i filmed uh I took a picture of a journal excerpt from three years ago, <laughs> and I saved yeah. it because it was dreaming pretty
0: big, yeah, oh yeah, and there's nothing wrong with that like there's like I'm really glad that I had those dreams, and I still want I guess lots of big things to happen, but I also want what what you spoke about, just like financial security, just being being happy, just being completely content with every part of the day and not worrying about how I'm going to, how I'm going to afford to do this or record the next album or. Being, just
3: being supported to pursue your creative, your creativity, I guess, is, is the dream of, of every artist. And I think it looks a little different for all of us, but. Red Rocks would be Red so. Red Rocks would cool. be fun. Let's do it
0: together. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yes. Also,
3: maybe like Bonaroo.
0: <laughs> I don't care. I don't there. care who's headlining. Like, which yeah. Whichever I'll one, of us, gets, text. Whichever one of us gets whichever one of us gets famous bill. enough to Go play headline. Red Rocks, we'll, <laughs> yeah. uh, we'll
1: wait for it, The folks. other. <laughs> you guys were supposed to play together lo- this last summer. Yeah. Uh, but I don't. Have you played a bill together yet? We played two
3: Nova Scotian Music Weeks ago together with multiple other acts.
0: Yes, we did at uh, Truro Belly Up Bar and Grill.
3: <laughs> yeah, yeah, that
0: was awesome.
3: <laughs> that was awesome. But we're going to play together at in spring. In... Uh, <laughs> Maybe. Red Rocks. Bon- Red Rocks, yeah.
0: Red Rocks, yeah.
3: <laughs> Maybe something in the spring.
0: Yeah, Oh, we'll definitely do something, for mm-hmm. sure. We'll... Um, it's... Um, we're both. I guess we're both booking up our summers and springs and all that. But we do have a gig booked in Halifax. It's not announced yet together, which is going mm. to be. We'll we'll announce it in future podcasts. But we are so doing... you have to
3: keep listening. Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> Come back before Red <laughs> Rocks. Trick. We have a gig in Halifax <laughs> at a <laughs> at a legendary venue. Yes, and yeah, we're. We'll both have new songs. You'll have a new album out. I don't know if our full album will be out by then, but we'll have new songs out by then. Yeah. So lots of fresh tunes for the world to hear. Can I
3: add Oshiega to my list before we go? <laughs> you Throw can just, in. yeah, that one. Yep, It's a good list.
1: We look forward to all of your names on the posters. Garrett, we're going to need you to take more time off work. (laughs) (laughs) We'll get you out of there eventually, (laughs) bud. Yeah, the dreams are big.
3: Isn't it sometimes scary, though, to say your dreams out loud? I think there's a fear there that people are going to be like, oh my
1: God, you know, You can't possibly think that that's possible. I get that. It also is what excites me about growing older, though. We don't have a retirement date in mind. That doesn't exist for any of us. No. No. We get to just do this forever.
3: And I'm caring less and less about what people think. You know, some of the comments on my my video were, wow, uh, it's really different. (laughs) <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, or interesting yeah,
1: yeah. And uh, that's the polite way of being I thought, unsure you know, a
3: few years ago I would have been too scared to do that video yeah a few years ago I would have thought whoa that is too expressive and, and interesting and whatever avant-garde I don't know now I'm like it's not to me it doesn't feel weird at all like deep down I'm really weird you don't even know yet, Gary. <laughs> oh,
2: I know.
1: <laughs> like, deep down, I just feel like I have That's all That's a different podcast, you guys.
3: <laughs> <laughs> oh, crazy ideas. Things that, you know, but you, you know, there's that whole, like, acceptance thing. And anyway, we're working through it. Stay tuned. Next video. yeah. But
0: the, the people who don't get people putting themselves out there, like you creating a video and following this life of a musician, just... Probably were never exposed to that themselves. Yeah. They just are told, they've been told their whole life that you're supposed to work a nine to five job and that's just the way it is. And anyone who's doing something other than that is irresponsible.
3: Or anyone who's putting themselves in such a vulnerable position to be criticized. That's another thing I think people are like, oh my God, I can't believe you did that.
1: Yeah. It shows such bravery. And you spoke earlier about feeling now like you have permission. And this has come up as a common theme with guests we've had too, that you doing that gives others permission to do it as well. And I see that as such an important responsibility as a creative person. I'm just stepping into it myself. It's taking a lot of just permission for myself, but seeing what those gifts have offered me from other people is all the more motivating to be like, If I can do that just for the one person, like how meaningful has this role been? So yeah, thank you for being yourself and thank you for putting yourself out there and being honest and digging in deep and supporting one another. It's awesome.
3: I've been digging. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you guys for having us here and for this awesome podcast. We binge watch a podcast all the time on a drives to Halifax, except Garrett started watching it without me. Cause he's still excited now, awesome.
2: <laughs> I'm listening on
3: my own, but we love it. It's awesome. I think it's growing and I think it will continue to grow more and your own like personal creative and artistic endeavors are just like feeding into that. And it's like, you have so many little, little fires that I think are going to come together and,
1: over the we're going to burn the place down yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Well again We're uh, just honored to watch Both you grow as musicians And put yourself out there And excited for What's going to come for you And the show that we have together coming up But uh, yeah congrats on all the Successes recently Thank And you. what's what's to come And keep doing what you're doing It's a treat for Everyone watching Back at you. Yeah Cheers everyone. Hey, okay, buds. All right cheers, Peace. This is the introduction. <gasps> hoping that you were going to use that word I just invented the word mm-hmm. 10 seconds before I said it live outroduction this is the outroduction hope everyone enjoyed the podcast and are still listening <laughs> <laughs>
1: even now like we, after the outroduction part that might have been the end we that have,
0: was the stop button we have to say outroduction every time now we'll try to remember that see if we if we forget let's just, write an
1: outroduction jingle right now i can harmonize on it
0: (laughs) (laughs) yeah well maybe we'll maybe do that off tape off camera okay
1: we could be here a while if we worked it out
0: but uh what do we want to tell people about
1: well i'm working on some really neat custom orders this month actually i've got a guitar in my studio so it's got a few weeks before it's ready to go but it's looking pretty rad so
0: far it's pretty awesome yeah and like I said in the introduction, um, I might as well repeat it in the introduction but... Uh, you just wanted
1: to say introduction again. Yeah.
0: I'm going to record in Cape Breton for a week. Gonna
1: this is for your Town Heroes album. Town
0: Heroes, mm. brand new album. Exciting. Yeah. Gonna, yeah, we'll have a full Can you
1: reveal when the completion date is uh, anticipated? We don't Don't
0: have a, an exact date, but we'll have singles coming out in the months likely okay and a new album out by the summer Wow. We move fast
1: I like how you're oh I'm following your lead in planning ahead so far in advance which you have to I understand like you're booking shows for the summer already as you should but it's helped me shape my uh, work schedule getting used to all this planning ahead stuff you do a great job at it
0: well, thank you thank you're, you're sliding right in there following your out.
1: lead. And wow. thinking ahead, we've got lots of amazing guests coming up that we've already been able to record and lots in the calendar. So thanks everyone for sticking with us. Our listeners seem to be accumulating every week, but it's really just been an accumulation of wonderful people in our life.
0: Yeah, we've been getting some great feedback in this new year of 2023. And we're just going to keep going, keep trying to bring in the cool people that we've are lucky enough that most often say yes to us so well, we're gonna keep doing that keep asking and see where this takes us
1: yeah hope everyone's new year's going great and uh we'll see you again next week
0: thanks so much buds we will see you very soon cheers